0: We're going to look in uh, just a second at uh, Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. Uh, But before we do that, would you join me in praying? Let's pray. Father, we um, thank you today for uh, the fact uh, that uh, you are so good. Uh, You are so great. You are perfectly just, perfectly merciful. And uh, I pray today as we uh, think about Uh, You removing every obstacle uh, from coming to us to make this world right, uh, that it would make our hearts glad, that you would energize us by the uh, blessed hope that we have in Jesus Christ, Uh, that we would be moved uh, by your Spirit uh, to take you at your word and to echo uh, the words of the New Testament, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5, the text is uh, in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. This is God's Word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Uh, In our family, our extended family, for uh, years and years and years, for as long as I can remember, uh, we gather on uh, the first Sunday in June every year, uh, at um, the, this tiny uh, cemetery uh, in Union County, Tennessee. Never heard of Union County, Tennessee? Not surprised. County seat, Maynardsville. Never heard of that? Probably not. Uh, it is way back in the hills, away from everything. Uh, we gathered there. Uh, it's where all my ancestors on my dad's side are buried, and uh, we have a worship service, and we uh, bring cut flowers uh, and place them on uh, the graves of all our uh, family members. That, and that worship service is a serious Holy Ghost throwdown. I mean, it is unlike anything you've ever seen uh, I remember as a kid one time, one of the pastors that was there preaching actually jumped on top of one of the headstones to finish his sermon. So it's it's remarkable, uh, and I'll leave it at that. Um, for years, uh, we would go, and um, back uh, in the 60s, um, we would leave our house on Friday and we would make our way uh, there to spend the night at my Aunt Cleo's house, my dad's oldest sister. She's She was 16 years older than him. Uh, Aunt Cleo's house was always memorable because uh, she did not have a bathroom in her house. The privy, as she called it, was across the road and uh, down the hill, so uh, but she was the best cook ever, loved eating at her house. She loved to cook in her wood stove. Uh, my uncle Reuben, her husband, lived to be 95 and ate salt, ham, and eggs fried in lard every morning for breakfast. Lived to 95. He was quite a guy. When I was four, and as I tell you this story, you'll wonder how could you remember this that happened when, You were four, but this was memorable. We were driving, and this was uh, back when Interstate 40, which uh, we would uh, get on and drive, ended at Black Mountain, North Carolina. And then, as I remember, I think the highway we would get on was US Highway 70. Now, when you hear that word highway, I don't know what that conjures up, but It was a windy, windy road, up and down. You couldn't get over 30, 35 miles an hour, most of the way. As was our habit, we would stop in Black Mountain and eat lunch. And I remember this lunch because, well, we, as I was eating uh, lunch, uh, I remember we had cheeseburgers and fries And uh, my mom, I remember having a sense of alarm sitting across the table from me, looking at my dad and saying, he is eating too much. My dad grew up with a lot of hunger. And so his philosophy about kids eating was, if you can eat it, eat it. Just don't waste anything. Eat it all. Can't stand to see a kid hungry. So we get in the car and we start heading uh, to East Tennessee. Now this is back in the days before car seats. It might've even been before our car had seat belts. So I was sitting in the front seat between my mom and dad as we're winding along and I'm feeling worse and worse. And I, was, had my head on my mom's shoulder, just feeling terrible. So my dad's solution to this problem is to drive faster. <laughs> to get where we're going. And I have very vivid memories of the sound of the rear wheels on the car squealing as we were going through the hairpin turns. I moved over and put my head on my dad's shoulder and promptly revisited lunch. <laughs> that stands out in my memory because there were a lot of recriminations in the car uh, about uh, allowing a four-year-old to eat too much and then get in a car on a curvy road. It was quite a mess. My brother, older brother, was in the back seat just yucking it up. Having you know, this is so interesting way to break the trip up. We pulled over on the side of the road, cleaned up. And the, one of the reasons why I remember that so well is on the way back, there were still a few tissues and other things laying there on the side of the road. And since, you know, in families you make memories, my dad's like, hey, look, there's the spot where we were Friday. You remember that? Do you Remember that mess over there? Yeah, we remember that. We were so grateful a few years later when uh, the state of North Carolina scraped up enough money to complete Interstate 40 all the way through uh, to Tennessee. Now it was a big deal in North Carolina, a lot of celebration about it, you know, because, and they, I remember uh, us talking about it and the fact that of all the equipment that used and all the people that worked on it and how many pounds of dynamite they had to use to blow the rocks up and remove the uh, uh, obstacles so that the road still has a few curves in it, but you can take those curves at 70 and uh, it's largely flat right through the mountains, but they're great hillsides of rocks that have just been blasted out. Isaiah paints for us a picture in this text of a highway. And it's interesting as you read this text, as you look at it, what you see about it is this, that uh, he says, and this is the, the, the message of John the Baptist that we looked at last week, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And it seems like what Isaiah is saying there, get busy, make the road to God, or at least make a road for God so he can get here. But then as we read the rest of the text, it seems to shift, right? Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Um, If you're like me, you love uh, Handel's Messiah. You love the tenor aria where he sings this, and it's a beautiful song. Wonderful song. Great song. So smooth so soothing, so encouraging. But the truth is highway building, road building has a level of violence. You blow stuff up, you cart rocks off, you tear through all of those obstacles that keep you from having the highway. And so The fact is, we don't make a road to God. Uh, God is the highway engineer. And what Isaiah wants us to see in this text, and the hope, the blessed hope of the church of Jesus Christ through every age, is that our God is coming. And that every obstacle, every barrier, every twist in the road, every hill that might stop the road, is being destroyed and will be destroyed so that there is no thing between God and his coming to his people. Now, as the theme that we have visited this uh, uh, Advent is the theme of waking up. What we wake up to every single day in this world is the hope that God is coming. And that there should be a certain sense of urgency about this Because what we are waking up to and the truth is that the God who is coming is coming as a judge. Now, let me just say that uh, when we hear the word judge, we're not warmly moved by that, are we? In fact, in our culture, right, uh, uh, judging uh, is viewed wrongly don't be judgy uh, unless you are with people who agree with you and judging the other people so that, you know, well, we're right in our judgment of them and therefore we judge them. So as a word of Christmas holiday advice gathered around your table, when there is an opportunity to judge, be careful that you don't judge the wrong people with the wrong people at the wrong time. Don't take the bait, Uh, practice the discipline, the wonderful spiritual discipline of silence, right? But the fact of the matter is for us, as we think about this, it it is a, a sobering and yet deeply moving and joyful thing for the church to think about the reality of Jesus coming as judge. Uh, and what this text tells us is is that nothing will keep the judge from coming, and what Isaiah sees here is a creation-altering process whereby the one of who it is written and of his kingdom there will be no end. That's what Gabriel told Mary is on the move toward us to rule and the judge, And, and the reason why we can bank on this is, as Isaiah says, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, he, here's, here's the issue for us when, when we think about this. We, judgment seems like such a dark thing for us. It seems like such a, a difficult and challenging thing. I confess to you that I have been out of, out of balance in the way I've talked to you about judgment. We often say here, and we often talk here, and rightly so, to a degree, that Jesus will return and make everything right. That is our hope. But the way we often think about that and the way we often approach that is from a place of our pain. And so what we think is, is that when Jesus makes everything right, like the fairy godmother, he's going to take the pumpkin and wave a wand over it and turn it into a carriage, and take the mice and wave a wand over them and turn them into whatever she turns them into, bippity-boppity-boop. But the clear testimony of both the Old and the New Testaments is that when Jesus comes, when the King comes, He will renew all things and He will do that through the process of judgment. I am thoroughly committed to the truth and the reality that Jesus Christ, by virtue of His life, death, and resurrection for His people forgives us of our sins. We long to have our sins forgiven, but there's also a side to this that we need to look at honestly and ultimately joyfully, is that not only is he a sin forgiver, but thanks be to God, Jesus is a sin destroyer you see one of the things that i think is so fascinating as we've as we worship today right we said the creed and what do we say in the creed what we say in the creed is that he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead that's pretty comprehensive you're either alive or you're dead <laughs> right <laughs> right so the fact is every human being uh, faces the prospect of judgment. We long, as the creed says, for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Well, the joy of the life of the world to come is simply this, that the very possibility of sin is eradicated by the judgment of Jesus Christ. We sang earlier in the service that great promise of God that says this, right? Uh, he shall smite in holy vengeance all his foes beneath his throne. You see, what we proclaim and the hope that we have is that Jesus broke the power of sin and death and the devil uh, on his cross. And by his resurrection and when he comes again, he will finish the job of destroying them. And that should delight us, it should sober us. But what it should tell us is, is that the world to come will always be untouched by the brokenness, by the rebellion, by the sin, and the suffering, and the war, and the anger, and the bitterness, and the lust, and the greed that runs rampant through this world. Next slide. And this is an interesting thing to me because the season of Advent, especially through uh, which developed in the first four centuries of uh, the church was a, a season that was eagerly looked forward to because those early Christians pressed towards the goal, pressed towards that day when Jesus would return as judge. They celebrated that the, fact, the fact that Jesus was coming to renew everyone and everything, not by the wave of that magic wand, but by judgment. And so the glad thing that we should see in this today is that this God who comes to us, who builds this highway, who blasts out of his way every single obstacle is coming uh, to his people and coming to his creation to not just renew and restore, but to make it completely renewed. So that that renewal is eternal and that that renewal of his creation will be unending and unthreatened by any of these things, sin, death, or as Luther said, our ancient foe, uh, the devil. And that is a great, that is a, that is a great uh, promise for us because the fact of the matter is uh, one of the reasons why the early church leaned so hard into the coming of the Lord Jesus was they probably, many, were much less comfortable than we are. They were much poorer than we are. Uh, they lived under much greater threats uh, than we do. And so living in a world like that caused the people of God to yearn, to long for the full promise of God to bloom and to flower and to sweep this planet, as the prophet says, that the righteousness and the justice of God would cover our planet like the seas covered the ocean. That's what we long for, and that is what we look forward to. So why should we eagerly anticipate this judgment? Listen, I love people who, if they were to face judgment at this moment, they would be condemned. And so this thought of the possibility of people that are dear to me facing this horrifies me. It horrifies me. And it should horrify all of us. But here's the thing, the issue for us is can you trust the judge? Because you see, the judge uh, is Jesus Christ. Now, I entrust myself to him. I lean into his promise that he loves me, that he died for me, that he has given me his righteousness, that I trust that the day that I see him face to face, he will hold my face in his hands and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's rest, not because I'm that great or that faithful, but because he is. And so as I entrust myself and my eternal destiny, my entire life into his hands, I must also entrust him with the people that I love knowing that he is good. Because you see, when it comes to the place of judgment, when you stand before the judge, what matters uh, as much as the case that you might be able to make is the heart and the character of the judge. Who is he? What is he like? What is his heart like? Who and what does he love? What moves him, right? And so the, the, the thing that is so important for us to, to unpack as we, as we think about this uh, is the reality of the goodness of the judge. And so I must trust him uh, because of who he is, of what he has done, and how he sustains and cares for me, for us, for his creation. And so when we think of that and we turn away from that, the the fact of the matter is, uh, when we don't like to think about this possibility, when we uh, recoil from that, the fact is that the glory of the judge is that he is perfectly faithful, perfectly holy, perfectly just, perfectly merciful, purposeful, per, perfectly gracious. And if anyone has ever known judgment, it's Jesus Christ who was judged, an innocent man, the only innocent man for us. So the, the thing that we have to, to rest in in that is the thing that we rest in in every hard issue of life we rest ourselves in the very character and nature and person of our God. He is good. And if he is good, he can be trusted, right? Secondly, we live in a world where we are so wrapped up and so overwhelmed by the wickedness in high places. The um, uh, hymn writer who wrote the hymn, This Is Our Father's World says, the, off, the, the wrongs seems off so strong. And it tempts us in so many ways to be bitter, to be angry, to take, as Kevin prayed earlier, to take matters into our own hands and, and to rail against the powers that are arrayed against us. To think that the fact is that the oppression and suppression that so many of our brothers and sisters face, the wickedness and the evil that exists in uh, places of authority uh, is just the way it is. And honestly, it is crushing and discouraging to think that there's no accountability for the powerful. But the delight and the hope of people who know the truth of the coming judgment lifts our eyes to see and to embrace the very justice of our God. There's a British poet uh, named Malcolm Guite that I've been reading over the last uh, couple of years. He's a, uh, he's a follower of Jesus, and he writes some beautiful things. He, he wrote uh, this uh, poem... Uh, that is such an encouragement uh, to me. This is part of a poem uh, about uh, Jesus' first coming. And one of the things, you know, about uh, the Christmas story, one of the things that we tend not to think very much about is very shortly after Jesus' birth, there's a genocide. All because of one man's jealousy and greed and lust power. And so, Geit writes uh, this poem, which I think is, a, is a, a, ultimately one that's, that's pretty uh, honest, uh, and uh, but ultimately so hopeful. He writes this, we think of him as safe beneath the steeple, you know, in, in, in envision a Christmas pageant in the front of the church, or cozy in a crib, beside the font, but he is with a million displaced people on the long road of weariness and want. For even as we sing our final carol, his family is up on that road, fleeing the wrath of someone else's quarrel, glancing behind and shouldering their load. Whilst Herod still rages from his dark tower, Christ clings to Mary, fingers tightly curled. The lambs are slaughtered by men of power, and death squads spread their curse across the world. But every Herod dies and comes alone to stand before the Lamb upon the throne. Power, something often when we feel powerless, our temptation is to grasp. To do whatever we can to grab power, to protect our tribe. What the second coming of Jesus in glory and judgment tells us is, the wickedness and the evil perpetrated by the Herods of the world will be judged and made right. And so in all of our feeble efforts, often to grasp after the power that we actually hate in the wicked, of belies the truth and the hope that we press toward. Should we work to overthrow and to over, uh, to be, uh, to see justice and freedom reign? Yes. But my friends, the ultimate injustice, the ultimate is when all the Herods stand before the bar of God's judgment. Thirdly, and this is important for us to understand, you know, Peter writes that uh, when the flood came uh, back in the days of Noah, everybody was going about their business, and and the thought kind of was, as things have been, they will continue. The blessed glory of the judgment of the coming of Jesus Christ says no to that, and in fact, tells us that the way things are and the way we are is temporary. That is such good news to us, because if that's true, you and I can have the energy and the courage to take a step toward change. Yeah, toward change we can begin the process of changing our habits in the power of the Holy Spirit, of what we look at, of what we think about, and what we do with our time and our money. We can, and this is particularly to those of you today, those of us today who are going through the motions, who have thrown in the towel on our struggle against sin, right? We can reenter that struggle against our sin and particularly the sins of our tribe. We can seek peace and have the energy and the drive to do that gospel work that is the clearest sign to me that there is a God that there is a Holy Spirit, that there is a gospel, and that is to forgive our enemies. This is such a, a, a great and, and, and powerful thing for us uh, uh, to think about because the fact is, you know, we this time of year, uh, we think uh, so much and next Sunday we will spend, and next Saturday, we'll spend a lot of time and a lot of rehearsal and a lot of reading and a lot of joy looking back and celebrating the fact that our Savior came. But today, I want you to think less about that and to think about his coming and that highway that he is building that removes sin and death our enemy, the devil. You see, because the thing that we see about this and the thing that is so gracious and so good and so powerful and so encouraging to me today is the reality that it is a good thing that when I don't hate sin and death and hell, God always does. And when I am tired and I am sleepy and I am cold and I am uncaring, he is resolute in his determination to make things right and to make us right. There was a day when Jesus was with his disciples and they knew that uh, the mounting conflict with the religious powers was reaching a, f- a fever pitch, word comes to Jesus that his friend, his dear friend, someone he spent time with, someone who he spent time in his home and ate meals with him. And I imagine that this friend, Lazarus, uh, even financially supported and helped Jesus, a faithful and good brother a faithful and good friend, is sick and possibly dying. Jesus knows what is happening, and he knows as he says to his disciples that they, if they have eyes to see it, they will see the glory of God revealed when they finally get to Bethany. So, he delays four days. Lazarus dies As Jesus enters the village of Bethany, there are all the professional uh, grievers and wailers out there crying, throwing dirt in their hair, tearing their clothes. As he walks through the city and he makes his way to the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, what does they run, the sisters run to him, Lord, where were you if you'd been here? And so he says, take me to the place where you've buried him. And he goes to the little cemetery outside of Bethany, and he looks. And he tells them to roll the stone away from the tomb. And they're like, Lord, he's been dead a while. This, this is the Middle East. It's hot here. This is going to be unpleasant. Roll it away. And he looks. He looks at the grief. He looks at the sadness and the anger and the bitterness He looks at the graves. He looks at the dead body of his friend laying in that tomb. And we have in our English Bibles the word that he wept, which doesn't do justice. The fact is, Jesus is overwhelmed with righteous indignation. He is overwhelmed with anger at the wreckage, the terrible uh, cost of sin and death as he stands there. He knows he is about to raise his friend from the dead. He knows that as he does that, that that is essentially signing his own death warrant because we read later in the chapter that the, the leaders decided this guy's raising the dead, we must kill him. There's some irony in that, isn't there? But the good news for us today, the great news for us today, is this truth, that Jesus is coming, and he exists in a state of war with sin, with death, with the deceiver, and that he will win that war, and we will see it played out before our very eyes at the bar of his justice. And so, we're to look forward to this coming, this era that we live in, this time of sin and sinning, is coming to an end because he's coming to judge the living and the dead. And so, in our saner moments, when we see through the glass a little bit less darkly, we can be glad that we have a hope that the way we are and the way things are, thanks be to God, is not the way we And the world will be forever. The disciples prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve. And they were reclining at the table. And they were eating. He took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them. And said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's confess our sins. Lord God, every day we are reminded that we fall short of your glory. You are strong. We are blown about by every whim. You call for justice. We play favorites and prefer man-made comfort. You are holy through and through. Our best efforts are marred by sin and cannot save us. Oh, how we need a Savior to ransom us from bondage to sin. Thank you for providing exactly what we need in Jesus. Oh, how we need renewal in your image. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to continue your work in your church. Forgive us our sins and lead us to rest in your grace. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear the good news. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.